Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking in the Come Follow Me manual at Matthew 9 and 10, Mark 5, and Luke 9. And this story in Matthew 9, I wanted to spend a little bit more time on the woman with an issue of blood. It's, if you see one of the footnotes there, in Matthew 9, verse 20, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, twelve years, came behind him, and touched the hem of his garment. And this story appears in the other Gospels as well. But I wanted to run down this footnote here. Footnote 20b on issue of blood takes you to Leviticus 15.25. And as I ran that down and found it in Leviticus, I just thought, my goodness, what a difficult life she must have had if they were keeping this law of Moses. Let me start in Leviticus 15, verse 19. And if a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days, and whosoever toucheth her shall be unclean until the even. And everything that she lieth upon in her separation shall be unclean. Everything also that she sitteth upon shall be unclean. And whosoever toucheth her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. And whosoever toucheth anything that she sat upon shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. And if it be on her bed, or on anything whereon she sitteth, when he toucheth it, he shall be unclean until the even. Verse 25, And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. Every bed whereon she lieth all the days of her issue shall be unto her as the bed of her separation. And whatsoever she sitteth upon shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her separation. And whosoever touches those things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even. And it just goes on and on. And I'm reading this thinking, what kind of existence was that for her? Usually, when we look at the law of Moses, and we see some of these laws, you can kind of see in there a spiritual lesson. And, you know, spiritual uncleanness, like sin. And this one just seemed so, so harsh. So I was curious and started looking around. I got out my Old Testament study guide, start to finish, and didn't say much about Leviticus 15. In fact, they didn't. This is a book that has the verses of the scripture in it and then comments in the margins. And on Leviticus 15, all it says is, laws, rites, and sacrifices are revealed for cleansing those who have a discharge and other types of uncleanness. And in the margin summary of Leviticus 15, the law details ways in which the children of Israel can cleanse by sacrifices those who are unclean, including those who have touched other people who are unclean. Ironically, nobody wants to touch this, it sounds like. Um, so I went to scriptures.byu.edu which is this amazing thing I've talked about before. It's also called Citation Index, if you want to get the app. And you can click on any verse of Scripture in the entire Standard Works, and it will bring up anyone who's talked about it since the Restoration began in General Conference. 
So I went to Leviticus 15, and uh, no one's talked about this. This is pretty harsh. I was hoping to find something that would soften it a bit. And I did find Elder Russell M. Nelson, 1992, October, in a talk he gave called Where is Wisdom? And he found that he talked in this talk about how long it took for the uh, medical practice to figure out that they should wash their hands in between patients and that they might be carrying germs or infections from one patient to another if they don't wash their hands. And here he speaks of these laws that the, law, the Lord had given us years ago would have saved a lot of that if they had washed in between these kind of things. That's a very interesting talk and an interesting observation to make that the Lord had already had laws about keeping yourself clean. And so that, that was really interesting to read. But I still, as I read this, I think this woman had a very difficult life. And knowing that anyone she touched would be unclean would be part, part of this story. And that she was willing to, to risk touching the Savior. And clearly the Savior did not seem to care so much about that aspect of it the way I read it. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's just fascinating. And also, in our Follow Him podcast, someone mentioned that Elder Christofferson had said, you know, it's amazing the Lord lets us touch anything. And I wanted to find that. So I found, after Googling it, there was a leadership seminar that Elder Christofferson gave on November 6th of 2013. And it was titled, The Journey to Lead Like the Savior. And I wanted to give you more on this, which is kind of what this little podcast is about, giving you a little more than what we talked about in the Follow Him podcast. Let me just read these two paragraphs from Elder Christofferson in this document, The Journey to Lead Like the Savior. He said, Another aspect of that that comes to mind is that he, Jesus, got the job done. I mean, he was focused, if you will, if you could say it in those terms, on getting the job done. You know, whatever he was commanded to do or asked to do or needed to do, he saw it through to the conclusion and got the job done. He was focused on accomplishing what it was he had to accomplish, but in the process, he, at the same time, focused on the welfare of those that he was working with, or who were working with him, or who were assisting and helping him. You know, he wasn't so focused on the job that he forgot the people. Oh, that's a good sentence, isn't it? He wasn't so focused on the job that he forgot the people. He never neglected the people that were helping perform that task, and it was always a great interest in their welfare, in their being built up, and in their progress, you know, not just his apostles, but everyone he could touch. It was never an excuse, I guess you could say, for him to say, this is so important, I don't have to worry about the welfare of those who are working with me. I've got to focus on making this or that happen. There have been great leaders in the past, as you know, political and otherwise, that have accomplished great things but they left in their wake a lot of broken people, and the Savior was just the opposite. He left in his wake people who were edified and built up and strengthened and made better in the process. Continuing with Elder Christofferson, I like to say sometimes when I'm talking to leaders that in a way, as weak and imperfect as we are, it's a wonder the Lord lets us touch anything. 
But he does, you know, and him letting us help is what helps us grow. I think sometimes we're like a little three-year-old. He sees his dad painting a door, and it looks like a lot of fun, so he runs up, Dad, let me help, let me help, and Dad's thinking, well, I know what kind of help this will be. But he loves him. So he gives him a brush, and we're there, if we're this little child, painting as long as our attention span lasts, and then off we go, and Dad's left to fix the help. <laughs> Sometimes, I think that's kind of how the Lord mops after us, in a way, when we make mistakes, but He's always looking to build us as the work goes on. And in the end, of course, we are the work. That's on page six of this document, The Journey to Lead Like the Savior. I, I love this, and it reminds me of something my mission president always used to say, is that the Lord gets the work done through His people, but He gets His people done through the work. And sometimes the Lord has to clean up for us. It is kind of amazing that He lets us share in His work and His glory, and that He has to clean up after us, often in the process. This story has always been so interesting to me because He was on the way to heal the daughter of Jairus when the woman with an issue of blood came about. And the, the emphasis I want to make is in verse 22, that He said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. It wasn't, my garment hath made thee whole, but it was thy faith hath made thee whole. Her faith inside was the determining factor there. And as much as we might want to say an object has power or holiness, well, it was her internal faith that made her whole. And then, of course, he was on his way to heal someone else. And I've always think about how many opportunities for service come up for us while we're on our way to do something else. We really didn't have time for this, maybe even. But the Savior never had that problem. A couple of other things I wanted to point out in Matthew chapter 10 that I thought were just fascinating. My son noticed this, and I was so surprised. But in Matthew 10, verse 16, as Jesus is instructing and empowering the twelve, he said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, they will deliver you up to the councils, they will scourge you in their synagogues, ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. So there is a footnote there that in footnote 16b lists Alma 18.22. And the fact that uh, my son noticed this, I don't know if he noticed the footnote first or if he noticed this, but I thought, wow, what a great connection there. So Alma 18, what's going on there? Well, this is Ammon with King Lamoni. And Ammon is after he has, you know, saved the flocks, whatever those were, goats or sheep or whatever, from the Lamanites who were chasing him around, he was, came in cut off the arms and all that. Now he came before the king. And notice verse 22. Okay, so let me go back. Matthew 10. Be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves, you'll be brought before governors and kings. So here's Alma 18.22. Now Ammon, being wise, yet harmless, exactly the same adjectives, said unto Lamoni, Wilt thou hearken unto my words if I tell thee, 
by what power I do these things. And this is the thing that I desire of thee. And the king answered him and said, Yea, I will believe all thy words. Here is Ammon, a disciple of Christ, being wise and harmless and standing before a king, just the way Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10. I just thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. How did you notice that? Now, a couple of other things. In Matthew 19 and 20, Matthew 10, 19 and 20, let me say that again. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now that is a tall order, being able to, to have, be worthy to have that happen. And one of the stories that I appreciate going back to the Book of Mormon is that we all know that the younger, when he fell unconscious along with the four sons of Mosiah, the four sons of Mosiah all went on missions. But the younger was called to be the first chief judge. Here's King Mosiah that has no one to deliver the kingdom to because his sons all went on missions, it sounds like. And so he starts this new form of government and calls it the reign of the judges. Alma, you are unconscious the longest. You're the first chief judge, right? So in Alma, and then after a few years, Alma says, I've got to go talk to my own people. So the four sons of Mosiah go on missions to the Lamanites. But Alma goes on missions to the Nephites, to his own people. His is more a ministering, you know, strengthen the church type of mission. And in Alma 5, he goes to Zarahemla. And Alma 5, as you know, is just an amazing sermon and chapter. It's been called a spiritual midterm. There's something like 50 separate questions in there. Have you been stripped of envy? Are you stripped of pride? Do you make a mock of your brother? Have you received his image in your countenance? All these questions he asks. Now, what's instructive to me about what Jesus just said in Matthew 10, verses 19 and 20, is that after Alma leaves Zarahemla, he goes to Gideon in Alma 7. And he gets up to speak, and there's a lot of things he could have done here. Hey, I gave this talk in Zarahemla. It went really well. Everybody liked it. So I'll give this talk to you too. But his audience was different. And because he did have the Spirit of the Lord with him, he did not give the same talk. He got up in Alma 7, and he said, I perceive that you are walking in paths of righteousness. I perceive that you are making his path straight. And Alma 7, he gives them, would you like to hear about the birth of Christ? His mother will be named Mary. Now, we have no evidence that those in Zarahemla got to hear this. But in Alma 7, he gives them information. He gives them one of my favorite verses in all of the standard works, Alma 7. 11 and 12, he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, and this that the word might be fulfilled which saith he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. These verses that expand the atonement way beyond just our sins, but into the things that happen to us, our pains, afflictions, our temptations, our infirmities, and the people in Zarahemla got to hear this. I'm sorry, in Gideon, 
The people in Gideon got to hear this, things that the people in Zarahemla did not get to hear. And whenever I see these chapters together, I think, what is it that we could hear in general conference or in the priesthood session or something if we were more prepared? I don't, I don't know, but the charge he is giving them is don't just prepare a speech, as Harold Lee said, but prepare yourself to speak and be ready so that the Lord can speak in you, Matthew 10, 20. Um, well, I love these chapters. I hope these ideas have been helpful for you today, and we'll talk to you next time.